Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. I'm Dan Putt, one of the partners here at Reboot, and I could not be more excited about this conversation. We're here to showcase the heart and soul of authentic leadership, to inspire more open conversations around what we consider the most important part of entrepreneurship, the emotional struggle. And hopefully, we open up some hearts along the way. We are extremely grateful that you've taken the time to be with us and look forward to this journey ahead with you. Now, on with our conversation. We were fortunate to co-produce this conversation with the Global Accelerator Network. GAN is a network of 70 accelerators worldwide that helps streamline the process of setting up and running accelerators. You can find more about them at gan.co. I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Thomas Edison. Most startups fail. We all know this as much as we try to forget it. The absolute hardest, hardest question an entrepreneur can ask themselves is, when do you know it's over? In the first of two conversations in this episode, we're joined by Derek Barrett, CEO and co-founder of Symptomly, who is staring down the end of his runway and wrestling with this very question. In the second conversation, we hear from Beth McKeon, founder and CEO of Kids Calendar, who's dealing with another common challenge. How do you find, recruit, and hire the right person for your startup? As always, we'd love to hear feedback from you, either on our website at reboot.io slash podcast, or on Twitter at RebootHQ. Now on with the conversations. Yes, we started a company about 18 months ago, focused on pediatric asthma. Uh, We went to the Sprint Mobile Health Accelerator, powered by Techstars, as well as HealthBox. So we've been through two accelerators. Our big challenge is that you know we're about 60 days out from running out of money. Um, we haven't found a product market fit, specifically revenue that's scalable and supports operations, and that our customer approvals take too long. Um, we are in the middle of a fundraise. However, these revenue and customer issues are you know huge towards making their decision. And if the investors don't double down, then we fail. And then the real question is, you know, look, we got our, you know, the gas pedal to the floor. We're headed for a brick wall. And but at the end of the day, at that end of that month, you know, it feels like if we hit that brick wall, you know, there's a strong sense of personal failure. You know, how do you find the next role? How do you recover? And, uh, you know, while we have all of our focus on the fundraising, you know, you're really just ignoring an 800 pound gorilla of failure. So, Derek, I just want to. I want to acknowledge that, uh, you know, what you just rattled off uh, in this kind of beautifully flat, neutral tone is actually quite, um, quite challenging. And uh, I heard you laugh a little bit. So, you know what I mean? Uh, What you just described is probably one of the more, one of the most difficult situations facing an entrepreneur. And that is being 60 days out from a complete failure. And uh, have you listened to my coaching sessions or participated in anything that I've done before? No, I have not. Okay. So I have to warn you that 
you know, the big joke is I have a superpower. The superpower is I make people cry. <laughs> so I also have x-ray vision and I take notes. And I heard that the point of this company was to deal with pediatric asthma. Right. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that pediatric asthma is important to you personally. Isn't that right? Yes. And that's an issue here as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. All right. So just pause on that. Did you hear that breath, that intake? I promise to not purposefully make you cry. <laughs> okay. But um, if we're going to get you through this period, uh, it's really important that we acknowledge everything that's on the table for you right now. And one of the things that's on the table for you is not just the company failing, but in your mind, the mission failing. And again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist here to figure out how important this mission is. So if you don't mind, before we go into sort of a pragmatic discussion, could you share with us why this is so important to you? Why did you start this business? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, pediatric asthma is a big problem. I think the real reason I started this business is, you know, I really always wanted to do startups. I had been in law and I'd been in the military. And so, you know, it's helping out with a license um, deal. And this was the deal. And, you know, as it took life, you know, they put me in charge of it. It was my first opportunity to run with a startup, first mm -hmm. opportunity to build a team, raise money, go to some accelerators. And I come for a, a, a world in military and law where, you know, failure is, is not celebrated. Right. So we're not going to – don't worry about the celebrating failure. We'll deal with that <laughs> in a second. But so there's no one in your life that has or been touched by pediatric asthma. Is that right? Yeah, not in my life, but we've, you know, done hundreds of customer interviews and talked to doctors. So you definitely, you know, you take on your customers. Well, I'll tell you, as a father of three, including two kids – who had asthma, including one where I would regularly be called into the emergency room for an asthma attack, I can attest to the importance of what you're trying to do here. So I hear you on that. Um, so you've got 60 days of funding left? Yes. What's the situation with the current investors? So they're actually the inventor of the product and they use it. Um, the big deal is that while they find it valuable, at the end of the day, they don't pay for it. And, you know, so now they're putting on their investor hat versus their, their user hat. You know, the, the product is simple and it works incredibly well. But again, it, you know, is anyone willing to pay for it? And, you know, we've just struggled to find that. And now, despite their huge fan of really the team and the product um, based on their internal use, you know, they're starting to see that there may not be a scalable revenue model. What if there isn't? Yeah, we, they won't invest. And I mentioned a major pivot. That is actually the major pivot. We said, look, um, you know, mobile health is in its infancy. Let's get out there and sign up children's hospitals. We have customers out there. We have pilots. Let's, you know, punt 18 months and see if we can you know, get the word out there, grab some market share, get a reputation that this thing works. And that's sort of, you know, the last minute pivot is let's roll it out under a freemium model. 
and to see if that works. Right. And working would be defined as as customer acceptance at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Creating customer value, letting them see the value of the product, mm-hmm. um, engaging their patients outside the hospital. Mm-hmm. So in my notes here from, you know, in advance of the call, I see one sort of implicit question, which was, and these are, this is my interpretation of what I'm reading here, and that is, how do you focus on the upside while simultaneously being prepared for failure? Is that a question? Yeah, that's, that is the question. So one of the hardest parts about being in a startup is the fact that failure is actually the norm. It's not only an option, it's the norm. And there is a mindset, which, you know, I've never been in the military, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but there is a mindset that exists in society, which is that if we allow the possibility of failure, then uh, we sort of defeat ourselves before we even take the field. And I get that mindset. Is Is that something that you may have been taught in the military, that kind of mindset? I think it's even bigger. I mean, failure wasn't an option, I think, in the military mm-hmm. and law. I think you actually double down to avoid failure in a startup. You know, you do absolutely everything to avoid mm-hmm. a failure is really the, the mentality that I've been around. So the, th- the thing that, that gets missed with that is something that I often refer to around the engineering mindset. Now, do you have a technical background? No. Derek? So one of the things that I love about working with engineers is that more often than not, they've been trained differently. And they, the way they think of failure is as experiments that give them data or experiments that produce unexpected outcomes. And the truth is, you guys were probably right about some things. I'm probably wrong about others. And the struggle is how to shift the mindset from this being a failure and therefore, you know, what, you know, you, you suck as a CEO or you, you know, everybody, you know, are, are losers into something that's a little bit more of like, okay, well, that didn't work. And that's a hard shift. So, you know, if the question is, how do you focus on the upside and while preparing for failure, I think one of the things that you have to do is take a look at what does it really mean to fail in this regard? Um, In this case, there was an effort and the effort was what, tell me what symptomly what what the product does. It's a it, it it's real simple. It basically tracks um, pediat parents and their kids' symptoms, um, patient entered data outside the hospital, and it feeds back to a um, physician population health management at the ER and the hospital. Uh huh. If you were to start today and start the company. How long have you been involved in the company? 18 months. All right. So if, 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 if you were to start the company today, knowing what you've learned over the last 18 months, what would you have done differently? 
Aside from raising more capital. (laughs) No, no. I wouldn't have raised more capital. I mean, to a certain extent, I wouldn't have done it with this product. I think we started with a product and a license. We didn't Uh go out and talk to customers about what they wanted. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't have done this company because that's crazy. I've learned a thousand lessons. But one of those lessons is don't start with a product. Start with customers and start with paying customers. Or even start with the customer's problem. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and and. Did you go to business school? Yes. Did they teach you what you just learned in business school? No. Isn't that interesting? Probably the most important business lesson that you've experienced in your career you didn't learn in business school. So I just want to pull that out and recognize that this is one of the reasons why the CEO of a failed company can be a really important person or a really um, profitable person to back later on. It's because they learn stuff that they're never going to learn elsewise. I think you've got a near-term issue, though, which is how do I stay positive so that I can continue the process of fundraising while I know that the likelihood is that we're going to fail? Is that what you're sort of sitting there with? Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you put 100% or 110% on the upside, but at the end of the day, it, you can't ignore it. Like, it's there. You're not dealing yeah, with see, it. And, and my instinct, and this is going to sound somewhat defeatist, but my instinct is I don't know that I can advise you to do that. Because I think that what you're talking about is kind of selling inauthentically. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Derek. Do you believe that the current product has a market fit? No, I think it's too soon. Too soon? Yeah, they're just hospitals and insurance companies, you know, don't truly have a financial incentive to keep kids out of the hospital, which is what our product does. You know, just a real tiny example is, you know, our product is actually working. It's identifying some sick kids and they call the doctors and they say, hey, this kid's sick. Um, they say, well, what What are you talking about? How do you know that? Where, where did you find that? What do you want me to do? And it's mm-hmm. just something we did not anticipate. All right. So this is not going to be a very upbeat thing that I'm about to say. But I'm not sure that you should go 1,000% for success in fundraising. Because the fact is, internally, you don't believe it. And even if you manage to scrape up another couple hundred thousand dollars. You know, one of the hardest, hardest questions I think entrepreneurs have to deal with is, when do you know it's over? And, you know, if I were an entrepreneur calling you, Derek, what would you say to me to that question? Life is short. Go do something you can make money at. Okay, you don't need a coach. You need to listen to yourself. (laughs) Okay, now, I think it's a shame if you walk away from this experience and walk away from being an entrepreneur. Because man, oh man, you learned a shitload. Excuse my expressions. You learned a lot. And the health marketplace is really important. And pediatric health is really important. And there's an asthma epidemic in little kids that is ignored in this country. And I would love to see parents have the capacity, because I remember what it was like to get a phone call that my you know, K 
kid was having an asthma attack away at camp, you know, and he's five years old for the first week he's away. And I can tell you what that drive was like for three hours upstate New York. I know what that's like. And anything that can lessen the severity of that and save lives, you know, we often joke about changing the world, but that's really changing the world. But... I don't know. When, when I say this to you, when I call forth what you already know, how does it feel? How do it feels, you feel? It feels good. It was even hard to write out the notes to tell you because, you know, I get a lot of advice from everybody and not to sound, well, it is what it is. But whenever someone says that, I say, oh, I knew that already. Like, <laughs> I didn't listen to myself. And I'm not saying that, like, I know everything. But when people say stuff yeah. and then... I can think about, I always think about someone asking me the same question. I generally have the answer, but yeah, just trusting yourself. You know, uh, you know, I do these, uh, first time CEO boot camps, and the first evening, uh, we tend to be dedicated to a Zen aphorism I use, which is this being so, so what, and it often feels like it is what it is, but it, that to me is a defeatist attitude. It is what it is. And then people shrug their shoulders and they use it as an excuse actually not to take any action. That's not what I'm suggesting. This being so, so what is something that I think is really important. And what that means is not bullshitting yourself about the reality of the situation that you're in. There's no little magic wand I can pull out here. And I got a whole boatload of magic wands, but (laughs) none for this situation that can get you funding in 60 days. Especially, and this is the key, when the CEO doesn't believe. And so my advice at this point is, do this as professionally, as humanely, as cleanly, as thoughtfully as possible, and get yourself into a good emotional and economic financial position so that you can take another run at it. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge component of it is, you know, I have some killer, very valuable connections and mentors and teammates and network. And to shut this down the wrong way or to, quote unquote, give up in the wrong way, it just puts 18 months of work, you know. All right. So I just want to bring attention to something that you just did. You just merged shutting this down in the right way with giving up. Okay, and it's not the same thing, my friend. Okay, it is stupid to continue a fight that you've already lost. Boy, I never like using the word stupid. I apologize. It's fruitless <laughs> to use the word to, 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 to continue a fight that you've already given up. You know, preserve those resources, preserve those relationships. You know, as an investor, I, I, I've had countless companies fail. And I, most of, the guy, most of the folks that I backed who failed well, I backed again. You know, fail well. What does that mean from your perspective? Or? I mean, fail with honor. You know, as a military man, you know what that means. Hold your head up with pride. Right? Treat people well. Be honest. No delusion. No lying, no spinning. Get the houses in order. 
the financial house in order, pay your taxes, pay your bills, and quietly live to fight another day. Boy, we've got all these military metaphors going on here. <laughs> I, I really, I, I feel badly. I, I really wish I could pull some magic line out of the air that would just make this easier. But I think you said it. I think you, I think you know what you've got. No, I really appreciate that. Will you do me a favor and will you email me and keep me up to date about what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think that uh, there's a lot of lessons. Also, take a look at, um, do you know who Chris Poole is? P-O-O-O-P-O-O-L-E? No. So he was, uh, I think, the founder of, jeez, uh, I'm blanking, 4chan, I think. Um Anyway, he had a, a brilliant blog post about his failure a few months ago. Really worth reading. Take a look at that. And lastly, I, I just want to say thank you again. It takes a lot of courage to get on here in front of all these people and talk about this in this way. And um, that's an undervalued character trait. You know, you've got a lot of bravery, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I figure if whatever your worst problems and it's definitely better to throw it out there for people who, you know, don't just struggle in silence. You got it. It's the struggling in silence that causes the most problems for us in the end. Hey Beth, how are you? Thank you so much for having me on here. This is amazing. Sure. Um, I just recently graduated from the Iowa startup accelerator and I, I, started the kids calendar as a solo founder and about a year ago started to build a team and i would say that the the team that i've formed has been sort of in in transition as i get better at figuring out what i'm looking for in a team but it's still like a big gray area for me um it's the, my my first time really in that role of hiring people and yeah, so I'd say that that's been one of my bigger challenges. And uh, just to give you a little bit of perspective, I joined the Accelerator um, with two technical co-founders. They were a couple, and they did not move to Iowa with me to be a part of the program. They were just going to be um, supporting the, the process remotely. And in the course of the program, it became clear to all of us that they just weren't committed to, to seeing the startup go. They had other side projects they were working on. They had a full-time job. And, you know, when I needed them to be working on the kids' calendar, they just couldn't step up. And um, so we, you know, we had a very candid conversation about it. We worked through everything and decided to split ways. Mm -hmm. And then... After that, you know, like I, mean, I also have other support members on the team. And I, the, the piece of this that I feel responsible for is in the story that I tell when I, when I introduce people to the kids' calendar, um, because we have a really loyal audience. So I, I can always find people that want to be a part of this, hmm. but they don't necessarily understand how working for the kids' calendar is different because it's a startup compared to just having like a part time job or being a contractor for an established company and so i lost a, a contractor this month who saw the changes that were coming um, because of some pivots that happened during the accelerator just really didn't like the direction that her job position was going to be going in the, mm. the coming months 
And so like, you know, I feel there's a piece of that that's mine to own in terms of, you know, setting the expectations for the team and, and guiding us towards a, a common goal. Uh, but I don't really know what, how to go about that process of, of finding the right people that can can kind of understand the, the difference in this kind of job compared to what, maybe what they're used to in the past. Thank you for the for the for the extra context of the situation, and and I recognize that um, you know things not working out with the technical co-founders was you know was difficult. Just to clarify, are you in Iowa? Uh, yes, mostly. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm actually the, the kids founder was based in Kansas, um, and I'll be moving the company to Iowa in the coming months. But I'm sort of going back and forth between Kansas and Iowa right now. Okay, so you're like on some highway somewhere. Just kidding. Yeah, actually, uh, I am. <laughs> you're in Nebraska. <laughs> um, okay, so. This, it feels like that there are two questions implicit in here. So let me let me let me give them back to you and see if we're getting them. One is a sort of more theoretical but pragmatic, and that is how does one go about building a team? And the second is a little bit more specific, which is culturally how does one attract to a team people who are culturally accepting of life in a startup uh, generally. Do I yeah. have that right? You totally do. That was a great job. Okay. <laughs> I take a lot of notes. Um, okay. So uh, on the first question, which is really about building a team, there's an important metaphor that I want you to hold on to or important, or important distinction that I want you to hold on to, which is that even though right now the work of the company is still about building the product or service, you're you're the CEO, correct? Yes. You're pro remember you have three tasks as the CEO, and I forgive uh, forgive me everyone who's ever heard me say this before because I say this so often that it feels relentless even to me. But you have three jobs. The first is to hold the vision of the company. That means the mission, the purpose, the vision, the values. Why are we doing what we're doing and what is it that we're doing? The second is to build and maintain the team, which is what you're struggling with right now. And the third is to give that team what it needs to succeed. Those are the steps necessary not to build a product or service, but to build a company. Okay. And the thing that you have to remember, and it gets confusing because you're still in the process of building the product or service as, as an individual is you're in the company building business, okay? So building this team is your job. Right. And here's the really, really bad news. When you're finished building the team, you're gonna have to do it all over again. <laughs> and again, and again, and again. It's kind of like painting a bridge. You know, the, the apocryphal story where, you know, you finish painting the bridge and then you have to start all over again because the first end started rusting. <laughs> with the team, okay? okay. So, so the the this core question that you're asking, this is your work. This is your job. All right. So let's go back to it for a moment. If you're in the business building, 
process, then what you want to do is to begin to identify the functions that create the most leverage as quickly as possible. And oftentimes, that means the technical co-founder, because guess what? They're the ones who actually go out and build the damn product or service. How many, how many individuals do you have working for you right now? Any? Uh, yeah, I have three contractors. Three contractors. Okay. Mm-hmm. What roles are they playing? Uh, so they're all doing content curation right now. Okay. And how much money have you raised so far? Uh, so far, just the 20000 from the accelerator. Okay. Okay. So given this, um, what we want to do is prioritize where your effort's going to be. Yep. And you need at least one thought partner in yes. the business. <laughs> okay. Right. You, you, you can feel the relief even just envisioning actually having somebody else that, that's full-time working on this. Yep. And that thought partner is going to be a co-founder. Yep. Even though they're joining relatively late, which means that you're going to give up a big piece of not only the equity, but you're going to give up a big piece of the control. Right. Yeah. I, I heard the air come out of your lungs in that one. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's have... not, I, yeah, yeah. Ahead, it's ben. not so much the control piece that, that I think is tricky. It's that there's just um, a lot of knowledge about the business that I'm not sure how to even like share that with somebody in a deep way. Right. Like I well, can, I can well, keep all the, the systems that we have okay. in place and sort of the manual process Beth, of it. But Beth, yeah. Go back to the first thing. What's the first thing that your job is? What's the first job? Uh, to hold the vision. <laughs> okay. So implicit in that statement is developing the skill to constantly and constantly with energy articulate the whys and wherefores of your company. Okay. In such a way as that you inspire normally reticent Midwesterners, (laughs) right? To take a risk, work without salary, give up the job at the post office. I'm teasing. Yes. Right? And come take a flyer on this belief. Right. And the reason that this is a really important skill set is you will never, ever, ever stop being required to do that. Yep. Just like you never stop painting the bridge and building the team, you never, ever, ever, ever stop getting people to believe in the company. Right. Jeff Bezos today running Amazon just announced, quote, $350, $450 million, quote, shortfall. He's still trying to get people to believe. In Amazon, every day. Hmm. So, what I just said—it's hard. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean that—that's—I mean it's great though. Like I can I can make that a bigger part of our conversations as a team for sure. All right. So sell me. Why should I come work for you? Uh, so what we're doing right now is going into these communities that there are all these local businesses that, that have no no you're telling me what you're doing why <laughs> should i come work for you because we're building something that's going to be enormous but why? right now it's tiny why is it going to be enormous yeah uh because the problem we solve and, and we've already proven that we can solve it 
exists in every city and every town in the U.S. Okay, so for me, one of the one of the most uh, telling moments, and John Scully describes this in his autobiography about the time he was recruited by Steve Jobs to kind of run Apple. Leave aside whether or not he was successful or all that stuff. It's the famous sugar water moment. Have you ever heard this? Oh, uh, no. Okay, so Steve Jobs apparently takes him out into his back deck or his backyard, and he's been trying to sell John Scully, who was the head of marketing at Pepsi for years and years, very successful executive, why he should take a flyer on this crazy idea called Apple Computer. And he turns to him and he says to him, very manipulatively, what do you want to do, sell sugar water for the rest of your life? <laughs> yeah. So you got to come up with your sugar water line. Yeah. Okay. You got to come up with, and you got to do it from your heart, not from a, a manipulative sales right. perspective. Yeah. You got to convince people. And by the way, doing this for the team means you also do it for the investors, which means you do it for the customers. You got to, let me ask you something, Beth. Do you believe in this company? Absolutely. 100%. Why? Uh, because I, I've seen the power of what we do on, on in like a one city level. And what it does completely, it do? uh, in terms of connecting the community, uh, it took a city that, you know, we curate events and programs in the community. So it took a city where the prevailing notion was that it was not a friendly place for families. And, you know, two years later, we're showing that there are 50 to 60 things happening every week. And that Why now is the that story important? is now the story is that people can't even choose between all of the amazing options. Why is that so important? It, it tr completely transformed the way that families are connecting with their. So community. what, why is that important? Um, One level deeper. Speak from your heart. <laughs> yeah. Speak um, from I your heart. Why are family-friendly communities important? I mean, the the way I view it is that we've got all of these people providing value in terms of these small businesses, and they were completely blocked before we started offering this service. They had no way to communicate what they were doing other than things like flyers. Mm -hmm. And now these business owners are successful and, and not just successful, but like selling out what they're doing. So they're, they're providing the value that they set out to provide because now they have a, a venue for reaching their audience. All and right. that's possible because of what we do. I wanna challenge you one step deeper because okay. you keep going into your head <laughs> you keep giving me the business reason, and that's an important thing to stay in touch with. But the fact of the matter is, and people who've heard me before know that I speak about this all the time, there's a reason that your company exists. And if you're going to convince people to take a flyer on your business, to leave a safe, comfortable job, if you're going to convince people to take a risk, you're going to have to sell them on your heart because that's where the vision lies. Right. The truth is, there's something in this notion of family-friendly community for you. Tell a story, tell tell an anecdote, um, tell me why joining your company is a good idea for me. 
And I, 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 I'm speaking rhetorically at this point because I want I want to address some of the other issues. But do you, sure. do you understand the point I'm yep. making here? Yep. Yep. Right. And I want to explain. I apologize for interrupting you so much. I was really in the, in deep into a coaching mode. When we interrupt as coaches, what I'm trying to do is break through uh, the story making that we all get into. Right. So yep. in our fear, and you tell me if this resonates with you, in, in our fearful position, what it felt like to me was that you you wanted to explain to me why this was a good business idea. Was that right? Yeah. Right. So I understand that that's an important data point, but what you'll find is that employees are motivated, and Daniel Pink writing in Drive does a really great job of describing this. Employees are not necessarily motivated by good business ideas. Sure. <laughs> okay. Think yeah. about think about yourself. Yeah. Right. What was your last job? Uh, I was a I had my own business as a private special education teacher. Okay. Okay. So 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 you but you were making a living. Yep. Right. And then you gave that up, and you're living off savings, and you're driving on a highway between Iowa and Kansas. Right, because you believe yep. in something. Yeah. Not because it makes good business decision. Right. In fact, it's probably a terrible financial decision. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So you got to reach into that heart. And Daniel Pink talks about three things that people look for that motivate them: autonomy, mastery, and purpose. AMP. This is what the startup offers employees autonomy, the freedom to really create a magnificent job on your own, mastery, the ability to learn and grow in a job in ways they never would have been challenged before. Like, I don't know if you heard Derek's conversation, but Derek learned more or learned some very important lessons in the 18 months that he was CEO that he never learned in business school. That's mastery. Yeah. And then yeah. lastly, purpose. Without purpose, it's all stress. With purpose, right. it just becomes hard work. So you got to sell AMP. If you're going to convince people to take a drastically reduced salary, a risky situation, you're right. It's not just another part-time job. Yep. Right? And if you're hiring people, Let's talk about culture for a moment. If you're hiring people who are coming in just because it's another part-time job, you might as well light your money on fire. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you got to sell. And this goes back to that first thing. What is the vision? What is the purpose? If I join your company, will I have more fun? Will I have more meaning? Will I grow? Will I impact the world in ways that are important to me? Yep. Because if I don't have those things, I'm not going to take a risk. It's just too hard otherwise. It's just it too hard. Yep. And be leery, be leery of people, of recruiting people because it'll make them rich. Because guess what you'll create? Let's imagine that for a moment you can convince people that joining your crazy little company is going to make them rich. You'll create a bunch of people who are driven by money. Right. Which they tend to bail at the first sign of trouble. Can we just wrap on this? 
So, so Beth, I just Beth, I just want to make sure you, you you got where you're going right now. Yes. Yes. No, this is great. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. So that's it for our conversation today. I know a lot was covered in this episode, from links to books to quotes to images. So we went ahead and compiled all that and put it on our site at reboot.io slash podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can find out about that on our site as well. I'm really grateful that you took the time to listen. If you enjoyed the show and you want to get all the latest episodes as we release them, head over to iTunes and subscribe. And while you're there, it would be great if you could leave us a review, letting us know how the show affected you. So thank you again for listening, and I really look forward to future conversations together. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call